Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, and we're going to finish up the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. So I've been preaching on this for probably almost two years now. It's kind of strange that we're finishing it tonight. Now, I'll have to say that there's so much that could be said on the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't think that uh, 12 <laughs> messages even scrape the surface of Ecclesiastes. Um, it, what I have taken away is that it's really, it's a beautiful book. It has a lot to say to us uh, in the here and now and, and today. Um, you know, I kind of have always looked at the book of Ecclesiastes as kind of a down and depressing book. Um, and maybe, and that's kind of what even got me started into looking at it. You know, I was kind of feeling down and depressed, so I was looking for some company. I thought I would see, hear what Solomon had to say about life. And, you know, when you sit there and, and you read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, through from beginning to end, you come away with a quite different picture than just a down and depressing book. That's not the point of it at all. Um, so there's a lot that can be said about the book of Ecclesiastes. Brother Tony, uh, a few weeks ago, actually preached quite a bit from Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. Uh, normally, you know, I hear him and other ministers preach the very end of the 12th chapter, so I thought I was pretty safe, but he actually preached mostly uh, the first half of Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. Uh, but, you know, the Lord kind of led me a little different way in my thoughts, um, and so I feel quite comfortable uh, finishing out the 12th chapter here of Ecclesiastes, even though we may have heard a little bit about it a couple weeks ago. So if you have your Bibles open now to the 12th chapter, let's just go ahead and read the chapter, and then we'll get started here. Actually, you know, let's back up. Let's go into the 11th chapter, because uh, kind of the thought starts really in the 11th chapter. I think it's good to you know, kind of know where the thought starts. So 11th chapter, 7th verse, it says, Truly, the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, or those days of eternity that's coming. For they shall be many, all that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But there's a but there. But know thou that for these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remember sorrow, or I'm sorry, remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. And then starting in the twelfth chapter, you know, following along on that thought, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun, or the light, or the moon, or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease, because they are few, and those that look out from the windows be darkened. And the doors shall be shut in the street, when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid, or also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. 
Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. So he, essentially Solomon ends his discourse here just about the same way that it, that it began. But we continue here. Now you have kind of the epilogue to this. So, uh, and it says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable works, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. So the words that are worth listening to, the words of the wise, are given of one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of this whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So there you go. There's the 12th chapter. Very end. So, congratulations. And we've now journeyed through the book of Ecclesiastes together. And while there's so much more that I could say and I could preach you know, regarding this book, I hope this high-level survey of its topics has been helpful in bringing an appreciation not only to this book, but also to the Old Testament wisdom writing. You know, I've uh, read through Proverbs a long time ago with my family at the dinner table. That was just something that we did after we ate when the kids were little. And I really enjoyed that study that we did over a period of maybe a year or so. Um, so the wisdom writings are really good for the home and for study uh, and very beneficial to us. I heard once a pastor, he said that he liked to read through Proverbs a couple times every year. He would do prayer journals, and he would always find something in the book of Proverbs that he could pray that the Lord would help him be more like this or help him do maybe less of this. And so the wisdom writings have a lot of uses in our walk with God each and every day. So if you'll recall from many months ago, the book of Ecclesiastes, it started with a question. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So... In other words, the book is seeking to answer man's constant question. Even today, you hear this question, what is the purpose of my life in this present world? You know, and that's a good distinction to understand that when Solomon is speaking in the book of Ecclesiastes, he continues to talk about under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. He's speaking about life in this present age, in this present world. So understand, there's two things that Solomon eventually comes to, uh, to kind of draw out in this book. There's a life in this present world, but more and more he's seeing this life beyond the sun. And he actually, I think in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's one of the Old Testament books that looks forward more to eternal life with God, maybe even more so than many of the other Old Testament writings. So he's asking that question, what is the purpose of my life in this world? You know, the preacher points out, I, I like to say, he used the null hypothesis, or uh, he says everything is vanity. We talked about that in the first uh, lesson. It was that word in Hebrew was hevel, uh, which had different meanings. Um, it could mean meaningless, as it's translated in many of the modern translations, but it also includes a sense of incomprehensibility. Like, I, I just, I, it's so big, it's so vast, I can't understand it. So that word has kind of a few different meanings. Um, so, you know, while though there may be some meaning to life, 
Often we find that humanity cannot fully grasp it. And that's what Solomon's saying here. So from this standpoint, the author, he's launched into several personal experiences and observations that prove his point on many of the self-pleasure paths which people even today will zealously pursue, often at the expense of other parts of their lives, and especially in relationship with their relationship with God. So he looked at fame, he looked at fortune, uh, family, friends, fun. He looked even at alcohol, uh, sensual desires, disorder, order, but all of it failed in Solomon's estimation to have any lasting meaning. You know, all these things that even today, you know, people are very passionately pursuing, pursuing the passions of their own heart, only to find that in the end it lacks meaning. But, you know, did you notice something? If you've read this book, did you notice something as we went through the book? You know, the less and less meaning that Solomon found in these common fleshly pursuits, the clearer and clearer the holy, pure, and eternal God of the Bible became. So he would look at something, and then he would look at God. You know, he would look at some fleshly pleasure, and then he would look at God. He would look at life under the sun, and then he would look at life eternal. So to the extent that his focus really began to shift away from life under the sun, which bakes us into oblivion, to that eternal home which is beyond the sun. You know, did you also notice during this journey that he discovers that many of the things which men fill their lives with under the sun, it often runs contrary to what a holy God of order would demand. You know, in that third chapter, he gives the example, he recounts, you know, there's even a song sung about it, the balance, there's a time for this and there's a time for that. Uh, you know, there's a balance in everything that God does. And so Solomon, though, after that, he looks at the places where he would expect to see balance. And one of those places is in the courthouse, right? You know, the place of judgment. We go and we can look at the New York courthouse and we see Lady uh, Justice there with her scales and, and, you know, they're balanced, right? Everything's supposed to be balanced and equal. So, you know, he saw the balance in God. He looked at where he thought he should see it in the halls of justice and he said, really, there was just unrighteousness, wickedness. There was iniquity in those places. He looked at the religious system where he also thought he would find the balance and the, uh, the, the godly atmosphere that uh, was exhibited in nature. And did he find it there? No, he didn't find it there either. So he didn't, the next verse it says, you know, he didn't even want to speak out loud what he knew. He writes in that third chapter, he says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous, and the wicked. For there is a time for every purpose and for every work. So there was a time under the sun where these actions would take place, but there was coming a time in that balance when God would judge. And I find that even today, you know, people know, just like Solomon did, in their heart that judgment is coming that this will not last forever, but yet they don't want to say it. They say it in their heart, just like Solomon did here. So thus, in the search for meaning in life, Solomon concludes that not only are most of men's pursuit in this world hevel, their vanity, but they're also, most, most of those pursuits are also against God's will and are inciting his wrath against us. In chapter 8, verse 13, he really he reaches the climax of this warning telling us, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. 
So around and after this breakover point in the book, you can almost see or sense Solomon go into his grown-up mode with proverbs and cautions and exhortations on the benefits of wisdom over folly, loyalty over disobedience, and the need for us to express kindness and generosity to others. We talked about that in Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. So now we come to his final exhortation to fear God and to obey his commandments, thus covering the two greatest commandments as Jesus would later confirm them. However, there is an important caveat. This is a limited time offer. This God who is perfect and who is a rewarder of the righteous and a punisher of the wicked, the one who will one day judge us in all righteousness, has only given us so much time to respond to his call. And, you know, sometimes we allow just things just to roll off our lips. You know, as Christians, we're used to to hearing this stuff. But did you just hear what I said? Jesus Christ is going to judge us in all righteousness? You know, people go into a courtroom today, and we've all seen it, you know, years ago, uh, and even, you know, new cases. People, they know they're guilty, but they've hired a really good lawyer. And they think, if I just argue this enough, I'll get off. Because the judgment is not based on all righteousness and all knowledge. You know, it's just based beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what our court system works on. You know, can it be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that this person did this? So all that lawyer has to do is create the smallest amount of doubt in that jury, and the person walks out. They're free to go. But the Bible says that we will be judged in all righteousness. You know, Jesus Christ, that's what people think that, you know, it's just going to be beyond a reasonable doubt. I think I did more good than I did bad, so therefore I'm going to be okay. I'm a good person. And many of these people are, if you looked at their outward life, they're a good person. But when you're judged of all righteousness, not only is Christ going to look at your outward actions, but he will look at the inward rationale behind them. Because there are many people that do good things, but they have wrong intentions inside. So don't let that, don't let that stuff just roll off your lips or off your mind and not think about it. You know, we one day... The whole world shall be judged of Jesus Christ in all righteousness. So, <clears throat> knowing this, Solomon's call here in the book of Ecclesiastes is not what most of the world would tell you. Most of the world would tell you to just squeeze all the pleasure out of a worldly existence that you can because it's a limited time offer. You've only got so much time to live. You'll hear people say, it's only got one life to live, and by golly, I'm going to live it. Squeeze everything you can. And what they're talking about, squeeze every pleasure you can. It doesn't matter if it comes at the expense of your health. It doesn't matter whether it comes at the expense of somebody else. It doesn't matter. Just squeeze all the pleasure that you can out of your worldly existence. But I alluded to this last time uh, as we got into the end of chapter 11. Solomon's exhortation is to grow up. And, you know, I think we need a lot of that in this world today. And, and you know, people make you feel bad sometimes as a parent. When, when as a parent you're saying, you know, young man, it's time to grow up. Grow up. You know, you've, you've got to start working in this life. You've got to start pulling the load. You've got to start being responsible. You've got to start looking at your friends and those around you and seeing where they're headed and ask yourself, is this where I want to head to? Do I want to walk with this person in life? You know, you're one of these days you're going to come to making a decision, who you're going to marry. You know, that's an important decision. 
I remember a long time ago, well, not that long ago, I guess. Seems like a long time ago. Before I met my wife, you know, I, <clears throat> I had just been saved for maybe about, uh, maybe about a year or so, maybe not even that long. And I was talking to somebody at work, and I was telling her all the things that I, I, I just had to have in a wife. And one of them was she had to be a Christian. Had to be. And then, you know, I had all the other things. And, and you know, this, this girl, she was about my age, which made it hurt even more. She said, Troy, you'll never find that woman. She said, you or your bar is way too high. So I took that one to the Lord. I had to. I had to just leave it with the Lord. And the Lord said, I'll take care of it. Don't ask me again. It's funny because Brother Brian Bridges has a very similar testimony. I, you know, so I can't claim I'm the only one that God's ever told this to. But he said, I'll take care of it. Don't ask me again. I tried to ask a couple times. He said, no, you don't need to ask. Well, he brought that, that spouse into my life because that was a desire. And I was desiring to follow the path that the Lord had set out in the Bible because I was learning to grow up. So I know, you know, people, they, they tell young people, you know, hold on to your childhood. And I, and I see adults, uh, you know, just one of the things, that I remember uh, being at a, a soccer game uh, for one of my kids, and, you know, this uh, neighbor of ours, and he's talking to his kids, and he's looking at this truck, and he's like, ooh, you know, trucky, me likey, and just talking like a baby. Grow up. It's okay to be an adult. You know, I, I look at my grandparents and, and I look at people in the, in the past and we, we shouldn't dwell in the past entirely. Solomon warned us against just dwelling on the past and asking why is the past so much better than now. We shouldn't do that. But I do see in that older generation that, you know, by a young age, many of them, uh, whether or not my grandpa didn't even graduate from high school, but he owned a business. He was working hard. He was being successful. He was following what the Lord would have him to do. He was growing up and grown up. You know, because it takes grown-ups to lead. It takes grown-ups to walk in the path that Christ has set for us to walk in. You know, yes, we are to be as children... <laughs> But growth is in the Bible. Every Christian is expected to be constantly growing. So Solomon here, he's exhorting young people and old people alike, I believe, grow up. And if you can't grow up physically because you've already grown up physically, he's saying there's certainly a lot you can grow up spiritually as well. So, we don't need to worry about squeezing all the pleasure out of our worldly existence. We need to grow up. And he says we need to be faithful. He talks about being hardworking. He talks about being grateful for what God provides. You know, we get so, and I, I am not immune to this. We get, often we start looking at what we want and what we could have and looking at the future. And we forget to be grateful for what, what we have, and where we've been, and what God's done for us. Solomon says we need to be grateful for what the Lord provides, so that we can enjoy life in that eternity that must exist beyond the sun. You know, part of the point Solomon's making here in the book of Ecclesiastes is that this is not it. I know this is what you see, but our God is an eternal God, and life goes on beyond this sun. Thank the Lord, right? So how will this transformation take place? How will we grow up? And that's where I come to tonight. I'm not going to preach the same message that Brother Tony preached because just one word here, that first word in chapter 12 says, remember. I guess I should read the rest of the verse. So I'll talk about that too. But it says, remember now thy creator. Remember now thy creator 
in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So Brother Tony, he really broke down how that is just a lot of poetic language on the aging process. And there's just coming a time where we're more set in our ways and we're not ready and willing to change. (laughs) So it's always better, you know, in your youth. But the key word here is remember. So you see that remembrance is a powerful tool of the Holy Spirit. Remembrance is to your life what that word selah, or some people say selah, is to the Psalms. Remembrance is a pause to reflect and to consider. You know, think of it. You know, people who are bent on doing evil, who are snared by their passions, the one thing they never want to do is remember. You know, the last thing that a drug addict or uh, some sort of addict would want to do is to remember the duties that they are neglecting or to remember the children that they are setting a bad example for. The last thing that a disobedient teen wants to do in their time of rebellion is to remember that voice of a faithful Sunday school teacher talking about the love of Jesus. You know, several years ago, Um, I had just started a new job as a nurse in a very busy clinic. I uh, was assigned to work one of my first weekends. Maybe it was my second weekend working in this clinic. And I'm telling you, this place was busy. And you were moving. And I was assigned to work with this uh, other young lady that that, um, I had worked with a couple times. And along came the day. It's a weekend, Saturday evening. I show up and I'm the only nurse there. I've got 2,000 people out in this factory, and they like to come down to medical, and I'm by myself. I was not very happy that night. It was a very hard night. I called my supervisor, and I said, I don't know where this young lady's at, but I need some help. Luckily, I had a really good supervisor. She came in. She helped me for the rest of the night. But I tell this story because months later, I found out why she did not show up. You know, apparently there was some uh, situation going on in the workplace. You know, she had been seduced by a fellow co-worker. She got all the way to a hotel in town with this fellow co-worker. You know, they're getting ready to go into the room. Remember, both of them are married. But she got ready to go into that room. But before she did, she remembered. She remembered. The reason she didn't show up at night is because she got back in her car. She told this sleazebag guy that I'm out of here and you will never see me again because I'm not putting myself in this situation again. She remembered that vow that she had made to her husband. The last thing anyone in the midst of sin wants to do is to remember. But if we want to grow up, there's one thing we must do. We must remember. You know, I didn't have a very good shift that night, (laughs) but thank the Lord she did remember. So why do you think it is? That the wicked people in this world who are under the control of Satan, they want to tear down statues, they want to rewrite history more favorable to their position. You know, why do you think that there's such a concerted attack on objective and even biological truths? Because a person who can pause to remember can change the course of their life and consequently the lives of those around them. You know, think how powerful and how unique this word remember is. You know, if you think about it, if you go back to your English class, I wish uh, Sister Gayhart was here because I know she's an English teacher. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't impress her. Maybe it's a good thing. (laughs) But if you think about that word, it's something that we're doing in the present tense, 
that looks back and it touches the past with the intention of changing the future. What an incredible word. Thus, remembrance is an action that will touch your past, your present, and your future all at once. So here, uh, you know, in chapter 12, we are going to answer a few questions here. When should we remember? Who should we remember? Or what should we remember? And why should we remember? So when should we remember? Well, the ver- first verse there, it gives us three times. It says, remember now, remember in the days of thy youth, and then while the evil days come not, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, we often, we read this verses only pertaining to the young. And I feel sorry sometimes for our young people. And I don't feel too sorry for you guys, but... But sometimes I do because it's like, you know, man, we're just you know, hammering the young people. Hey, there's a lot more people out there that need to hear this as well. So we shouldn't get so caught up in the, you know, evangelizing the youth that we forget that there's also middle-aged, there's older people who have not yet had their day of remembrance. That first exhortation, it doesn't say anything about the youth. It says, now. So to simply remember now does not depend on whether you are young or whether you are old. It just says that you should not hesitate in remembering. And this theme, it runs throughout the Bible. While God is merciful and He's patient towards the sinner, His patience and His mercy do have a limit. If it were not so, there would be no story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There would be no flood requiring Noah to faithfully build an ark. There would be no need for a Savior to die on a cross. So when should you remember? Now. No matter who you are or where you're at in life, you should be particularly working on your remembering skill. And yes, you should remember while you are young. You know, recently I was looking through some of the pamphlets and stuff that uh, I got from my grandpa Romine. Uh, and over the years, he had gone to many camp meetings and he had bought many little pamphlets. And one of them just caught my eye, and it was a chart that caught my eye. I don't know who wrote it. It was on Revival. I didn't read the whole pamphlet yet. But what I recall in that chart was that evangelist listed the ages of all the people in a chart that he had personally led to Jesus Christ throughout his long career. And you know what happened over uh, time? That that 18 to, or yeah, you know, I'd say 15 to 30 section, lots of people. And you know, after about that 30 section, there was a significant drop-off to the point where it got to the 70s, there was like two people. 80s, one person. 90s, I think one person. So when is a good time to remember? It's definitely a good time to remember while you are young. You know, and that's... And, you know, we can answer here, too, the reason why a lot of these older people, you know, uh, did not get saved. It's because they got set in their ways. They had lost that zest for life imagination, curiosity, and the adventure that makes the kingdom of God so much easier to enter in with that childlike faith. So yes, young people, Solomon does specifically address you here. Everybody else is addressed in the now, but he addresses young people specifically, telling you to remember while you are young. You know, so the... Takeaway is that we should remember today, we should remember tomorrow, we should remember 10 years from now and never stop remembering. What should we remember? So the question there again is answered, and it's really more of a who we should remember. Solomon says here, remember now thy creator. So who should we remember? Thy creator. Whose creator? Thy creator. You know, a lot of times we look at 
you know, that's a good message for so-and-so, and that's a good message for so-and-so. Oh, man, I'm glad they remembered their creator. No, remember thy creator, your creator. Solomon's speaking to each one of us here in the book of Ecclesiastes. So the first step to being born again is to realize that you were not born on this earth by your own power or by some chance circumstance. This is where our faith meets our remembrance. You know, did you ever realize that the Bible begins on the theme of faith and it ends on the theme of faith? Begins and ends. The first four words are the Christian's call to faith. In the beginning, God. And what did he do? God created the heavens and the earth and every living thing upon the earth. The Bible is clear. You are special, above and separate from all other animals, unlike the rest of the things that creep on this man or on this earth. Man had received the breath of life from God. And verse 7 talks about this. Solomon, he opines that the dust of our bodies that suffered so much under the sun, will return to the earth. However, the soul, that breath of life from God, is going back to God the Creator. Thus, He deserves to be the object of your remembrance. So now, why should we remember? The first reason is because there is limited time. It only, this offer, it only stands while you yourself are standing on terra firma under the sun. As Solomon so eloquently states in that poetic form that Brother Tony broke down the other day, your body is going to wear out, you're going to die, or more accurately as stated in verse 2, you're going to one day be separated into your two essential parts. The dust of your body, which is going to go back to the earth, and your soul which was given by God which will return to Him. So that part of you that inhabits that ball of flesh, your soul, your soul which is capable of thinking and feeling and acting with intention, that part is the part that's capable of remembering. And finally, we should remember our Creator because God will not only receive souls back to Himself, But in those last verses, he says that God shall bring every work into judgment. He is going to judge those souls. The Hebrew word there for judge indicates not just looking into a matter, but also pronouncing a verdict, whether favorable or unfavorable, which is certainly consistent with the rest of the Bible. So don't let any liberal theologian convince you that this book of Ecclesiastes here or contradicts the rest of God's Word. You know, as I was reading and studying, there are some pretty crazy theories that came up on the book of Ecclesiastes. But every time that you hear people say that it promotes some hedonistic, sinful lifestyle, they're almost always pulling the Scriptures out of their context. So, I guess this brings up my final question here is, what happens if we forget? Some people forget. They don't remember. Psalm 9, 17, it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and listen, and all the nations that forget God. So do all people remember when the remembering's good and and you're able to remember? No. Some people forget. What happens? They shall be turned into hell. The command is to remember. Thus, any neglect in this regard, is disobedience. But those who neglect remembrance on this earth in hopes to somehow propagate, to maintain a sinful lifestyle, will not be able to quench their remembrance forever. That very act of grace that God has given man under the sun, this ability to pause, to consider, to turn away from evil, will become the very worm that dies not. It'll be a worm of remembrance, but without the ability to turn or influence the future. Remember we said that, you know, here on earth, our remembrance, it touches our past, our present, our future. Those who forget will maintain their memory. They'll wake up with a memory one day, but it'll be quite 
less than that. It will only be able to touch the past and present. Past and present. It will never be able to touch the future. So in hell, <coughs> remembrance has the first two attributes. Then the individuals uh, live in the present torment and they can look back into the past, but when they wish to influence the future, they hit the wall of a great gulf fixed. You know, if you want, you can turn briefly to Luke chapter 16, and you can see this other side of remembrance. If you're one of those people, you don't like the Old Testament, well, here's a New Testament uh, version for you. It's kind of more on the negative side. So it's people who have forgotten and then remember. So in Luke 16, you know, many of you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And do note here that the indication is that Jesus is speaking of an actual person. He's speaking of an actual man. There's nothing to indicate that this is a parable or this is some sort of allegory. He's speaking of somebody the, the listeners uh, would have known. The rich man lived it up on this earth while Lazarus lived in agonizing poverty at his gate. Yet, as Solomon noted, all throughout this book, both men died. Both were judged. One opened his eyes in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man lifted up his eyes in the torments of hell. And he makes a plea for just one drop of cool water on his tongue. And this is what God says to him. This is what God, his creator, says to him. In verse 25, he says, Son, what's the next word? Remember. Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come thence. So thus we see here that remembrance never dies from the soul. This is why it's so important for us to remember now. Remember now. Remember in thy youth. Why is it so important to remember God your creator? And why is it not only important to remember, but also to do one of those other unique verbs that is in the present tense, but touches the past and influences the future? And you know what that word is? We use it all the time. Repent. Jesus said, repent, or you will likewise perish. Remember and repent. Think of those two words. They, they look at the past. You're doing it in the present, but they look at the past. They influence the future. So remember and repent, and thus live a life that is not hevel, or it's not vanity, worthlessness, but a life that is precious in the eyes of our Lord. You know, St. Augustine, he wrote, and I'm getting close, close to the finish here. St. Augustine, he wrote of Ecclesiastes, he said, Things which humans create are vain because ultimately they have no useful end, as Solomon realized here. Therefore, we should seek truth. Let's say that again for our generation. We should seek truth and love God in whom there is no Vanity. So, my friend, why is there no vanity in God? Because He is eternal and He is perfect. Nothing can be added or subtracted from Him. You know, and I, I, I asked my kids one time, I said, why will God never change? Because He's perfect. There's nothing to change. There's nothing that needs change. There's nothing that requires 
change. Therefore, there's nothing that's vanity in him. Unlike us humans, unlike me, I'll even be willing to say unlike you, you know, we have much that needs to change. You know, as we're speaking tonight, you know, do you think of anything that needs to change? If so, follow that prescription that Solomon has given us and remember your Creator now. So, I'm going to end on this. <clears throat> you know, one time I, I, I went through the book of uh, Hebrews, and I uh, hadn't preached much, hadn't taught much, and I got to the end of the book of Hebrews, and a, a lady in our small study asked us, you know, so what did you learn from this book? What is the takeaway? How did this book influence you? And I was a little bit embarrassed because I had looked so much at the minutia <laughs> of the book. I looked at the verses. I looked at, you know, I, I really enjoyed the book of Hebrews. And still today, I enjoy the book of Hebrews. But I felt like I didn't give her a good enough answer. So I was, you know, a little bit naive back then. I was taken back by that question. But today, I, I want to offer and leave you with the overall macro level, if you look at the whole book of Ecclesiastes, what can we get out of this? There's many things. This isn't the only thing. But I, I think it can be summed up in a statement like this. You, <laughs> me, stop dying in the pursuit of personal earthly pleasures and instead start living for purpose. Stop dying for pleasure and start living for purpose. I have a thing on my phone somewhere. I don't know where my phone's at right now, but you know, I wrote this you know, for my kids. And one of these days, I don't know if I, I don't think I've preached it yet. One of these days, I think I'm going to preach it. About living for purpose instead of pleasure. And you hear people, you hear young people, old people alike, they get no pleasure out of life. Because that's all they were ever seeking. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. They were seeking all these things that Solomon told us will never bring us lasting pleasure. But I said, have you ever thought about living for purpose? God has a purpose for each one of our lives. And if we start to pursue that purpose instead of just what is pleasurable to me right now, we will begin to transcend you know, the here and the now and start to get into things that are beyond just the here and the now. Because the here and the now always changes. That's one of the disappointing things in life. That's why I told, I told Sister Donna, I told my wife, and told my aunt, the other day, because you know, it just seemed like they had so many things, hard things going on in their life. And I said, you know what I've learned is that life is just full of disappointments. And all, if also you do is you live in the here and the now, and you just live for pleasure, you won't, you're not going to make it. You've got to live for that greater purpose that God has given you. So, you know, there's some may say, I, I don't really know what my purpose is. Well, if that's you, Solomon has given you at least the start of the path. He's telling you, start with God. And then he's told us some simple things that we can pursue in life. That honest work, the spouse of your youth, wisdom. Some of those things that we can pursue. Start with God and pursue the purpose that he has given you in life. If you're not sure what that is yet, Start pursuing the things you know he likes and the things that you know that he recommends, like those things I just mentioned there. So, we will pray and be dismissed. Um, unless anybody thought of a special they'd like to sing. Still no special? Okay. All right, well, let's pray then. Lord, we just do thank you uh, this evening for 
this book of Ecclesiastes and uh, for just being able to study it over these even uh, about two years now. Lord, we just do pray that you would help us to be a people of remembrance. Lord, to remember what you have done for us, to remember the promises that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember if we are saved tonight, if we've been born again. And Lord, I pray for those who have not been born again, Lord, that they too will remember their Creator. Lord, that they will remember their Creator that didn't just stay in heaven and call us to do things that we were not capable of doing, but the Creator who sent His only Son to die on a cross for us, to save us, to show us, to make the way, and then to also show us the way. Lord, I just pray that You would Enable us each and every day as we struggle through this life to remember where we are headed, to remember the judgment, to remember that it's you that strengthens us, to remember that though this uh, old body is just decaying away and will one day go back to the earth, to remember that we have a soul that will go before your throne. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to remember your holiness, to remember your goodness, your mercy, to remember that you change not, to remember that that mercy endures forever. Lord, we just are thankful for this ability to remember. And Lord, we, I just do pray again for our sick and afflicted. We do again pray for uh, Brother Tony and Sister Donna, we bring them to our remembrance tonight. Oh God, I just pray that you would touch them and others that are sick and those that are lost, Lord, that you would just be speaking to their hearts and souls. Even those that aren't here tonight, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would put a feeling of conviction, Lord, in their heart, Lord, that they would know that you are calling them to remember, Lord, before it's too late. And Lord, we just pray that you would watch over, protect us, and bring us all back at the appropriate time, we pray. As he sings in Jesus' name, amen.